because you're jumping back into the gut. Hey coach, welcome to the basketball podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Tamika Reed to the Basketball Podcast. In four seasons as head coach, Tamika Reed has led Jackson State University women's basketball to the top of the Southwestern Athletic Conference. She has guided Jackson State to four consecutive bursts in the SWAC tournament semifinals, three straight bursts in the conference tournament finals, three straight SWAC regular season titles, and two straight SWAC tournament titles, and NCAA appearances in 2021 and 2022. In making the program's second straight appearance in the NCAA tournament and the first as in 14 seed, Jackson State led in the fourth quarter in nearly achieving an historic win over number three LSU. Coach Reed, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's going to be fun to talk to you. Uh, incredible success. And uh, want to dive into a whole bunch of things. But coach, when I did research, self-efficacy came up as the word that stood out to me. And that's basically a person's belief in their capacity to achieve a di- desired outcome. So in other words, with high self-efficacy, which I feel you give your players, they believe they will go out and succeed in their task no matter what. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about some of the ways that you've instilled belief to your players in the fact that they can achieve whatever task you put in front of them? Well, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you, my first year here at Jackson State, um, and compared to my fourth year, I've had to recruit different type of players. And when I came in my first year, I had a team that I inherited from the previous coach. This was a team that was slated to finish uh, seventh in conference. And I am not a seventh place coach. And so I quickly had to reestablish a culture and a belief within those players that they can be successful. Um, They had come off a bad season the year prior. So it was really important to me to get them to really believe in themselves. And that's what we did. We ended up finishing third. We got to the championship game in the first year, lost by four. Um, But we didn't have really, really good skilled players. We had players who finally believed, players who believed in themselves, believed in me as a coach, and believed in the program and where the, where the culture was trying to go. And they, you know, they worked their butts off. They won with hard work. And so as the years went on into my fourth year, I began to recruit players that matched me and matched my personality. Well, now you have a team full of all-stars. So you have freshmen who don't believe in themselves. You have players who you obviously have to recruit over to keep the program building, building who don't believe in themselves. So as a coach, my assistant coaches, you know, we are constantly telling them, hey, you wouldn't be here if you couldn't do it. Uh, You know, we're constantly showing them what their strengths are. And if you can get people to focus on what they're good at, that changes the whole dynamics. Now you can start looking at the weaknesses to help them be a total overall better player. It's tremendous. And uh, it's more than a motivational quote, isn't it? I mean, you have to live it and you have to model it. And I'm imagining that's a big part for you too, is that you model this confidence for them, don't you? Absolutely. We have to, you know, you you have to be a representation uh, for these players to give them hope that, you know, they can do it too, you know? 
So I want to I want to give a real example here because what I think is remarkable is the difference between your last two NCAA tournament first round games, right? One of them you went into and clearly everyone was excited. You got there and you got blown out for lack of no other way to say it. You got blown out. But then this year, again, you had a real chance to be able to beat number three LSU. And I got to think a big part of that is the change in terms of how you approached it, but more importantly, how your players approached it. So you can talk about the two differences in terms of your lessons from the first to the second year. Well, I have to be honest, I learned and I grew personally from that first game. My staff learned, they grew. Um, But after we played Baylor last year, I can remember going into the locker room and I didn't like the feeling that I had. I mean, we had just won the SWAG tournament. You know, we had just won a regular season SWAG championship. But now here we all feel like failures. And I told my team, you know, let's not let this diminish who we really are and what we really accomplished. But I also came on the other side of that and said, we will be back and it's going to be a different showing. And I challenged my coaches uh, to not only recruit better players to play at that level. I challenged the strength and conditioning coach. I told her I want what Baylor does in the weight room. I want what South Carolina women's basketball do in the weight room. I want high level power five strength and conditioning programs with our program. And that's what we did. We, we, my staff went and got better players. You know, we, we brought the supplements, the nutrients. We implemented those, those weightlifting uh, techniques. And we all year long, the terminology that I use with my team was, you guys are pros. Y'all are pros. Every, eat like a pro. Sleep like a pro. Walk like a pro. Every time you turned around, I was telling these young ladies how much they are of pros. And so I think that went into our preseason. You know, we were competitive in preseason against Arkansas, Texas, Miami, um, Ole Miss. We were really Mississippi State. We were really competitive. And LSU was just on the clock. You know, we really wanted that game um, because we felt like that's the only part of our season that we a goal that we set that we didn't accomplish. And that was to beat a power five team. Well, your schedule showed that, that you were you were going to get them ready the best you could. And that, you know, and, and again, one of the challenges of the schedule, and this isn't a knock on your league, is that at the beginning of the year, you're playing all these teams and then you go into your conference season and you're not playing those same type of teams. And people don't appreciate how huge a challenge that is to then go back and play a power five after having played your schedule, right? You know, you are right on. I mean, you're hitting the nail, the nail on the head, I tell you. Um, it was a struggle because in conference, we were beating teams by 50 and 60 points, you know, and I can remember Coach Prime, he's FaceTiming me now, Deion Sanders, he's FaceTiming me. <laughs> I can remember him telling me, Coach, I'm going to bring some of my football players over there because you guys got to get better. He said, on the other side of this thing, you already know who you're going to match up with in the tournament. You got to keep getting better every day. So I, the next day in practice, I had a sideline full of football players and um, we practiced. We practiced against, you know, those guys and, you know, bigger, tougher, stronger. And we did that for every Monday, every every Wednesday, we practiced against guys. And that helped us be tougher and just get prepared. Well, and it also strikes me, make the big time where you are. When you reference some of those things, these lessons of, you know, these other programs, what are they doing And can we do that here? Well, yes, we can do that here, but you need resources. You need support. And that's also something that I believe from reading about you and listening about you, that you've inspired the whole 
part of your school to say, let's support this because we've got something special. Absolutely. And our athletic director, Ashley Robinson, he was just named the National AD of the Year. Um, He has been phenomenal in providing the resources we need to be competitive. Um, You know, when it comes to your nutrition, when it comes to the equipment you have, all those things are important. You know, I tell people all the time, we don't have the charter flight. You know, we don't have those things. But the things that are most important are the things that we have and that we try to help our players get better with. Um, You know, our resources are very limited. But I tell my players all the time, that means you have to work harder. Okay, you're going against power five institutions that have whirlpools. They can go jog in. We don't have that. You have to work harder. Because not only do we not have the resources, you know, we, we, we don't we are we're behind. So work harder. So that that I mean, every day it's like a motivational thing for us to not be average, you know, and we use the resources to our advantage and the lack of to our advantage. We've all been there as coaches. So can you give us some advice? How do we go to our athletic director and ask for something that we know involves money? Because usually, again, athletic directors will say yes to things that don't involve money, but things that involve money and saying, hey, listen, they're doing this. If you want us to compete, we need this. So can you give us some advice? You said the magic words. You know, if you want us to be competitive, we we, we have to get these different things. Um, and our athletic director and most athletic directors are student centered. They really want the best for their students. They really want to have a quality experience uh, for the student athletes. And so anytime I can present a case that, hey, this is going to increase their experience, this is going to help us be uh, more competitive, you know, um, these are the things that we need. Our athletic director, he, you know, he comes in and he allows us to do those things. You know, we don't ask for anything that we know can't be done. Um, And sometimes, if you can say, um, I'll raise it on the back end or I'll help out any way I can on the back end. But if we can get it now, this would be awesome. You know, anytime they see you want to put in the work for it, they're willing to go over you know, go over and beyond for you. And, and that's what I do for my athletic director. And we do raise on the back end. You know, we, we get good money when we win a tournament um, and we get good money when we go to the NCAA tournament. So it helps tremendously to get there. Well, and the other part is these Power Five games are also guarantee games, right? And, and to a certain extent, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, a lot of this, the smaller schools have to play these games to be able to generate income and budget, don't they? Absolutely. We do. Uh, we have a certain amount we have to get in. And, you know, at first I was like, oh, man, but now I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want Jackson State to at some point be able to make a top 25 AP poll. You know, how awesome would that be? Um, you know, and that has to happen with us beating some of those top teams, you know, um, and you, 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 you look at playing Texas last year. We lose to Texas by 14, by 12, and we missed 14 free throws, you know, and Texas at the time were ranked number eight in the country. So we're right there. And, and in order to do that, we have to, you know, we have to play those type of games. But I mean. You know, it's okay for me now to play those guarantee games because I, I, I want the, I want the challenge. You know. Well, the problem is they're not going to want to play you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Which is a good problem, but a challenge nevertheless. Right. <laughs> I'm on a Zoom. I'm on a Zoom, Coach Prime. <laughs> What's up, Coach Sanders? I was just going to ask a question about you. 
Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. It's all good. We'll stop for him any day. So, I mean, you what a great segue. Coach Sanders, what are some lessons that you've learned from being around him? Obviously, self-confidence was not an issue for him. <laughs> no. You know, he's a go-getter. And, and um, he came in with a mindset of leveling, leveling the playing fields. He came in with a mindset of helping HBCUs grow. And, you know, obviously me being here before he got here, that was something that was a, a concern and, and a want and a need, but just didn't know the journey to help with that exposure. And that's what he brought to our program and he brought to our um, our university, the exposure for our for us to be a, a household name, for it to be okay to attend an HBCU. Um, and so uh, that's what he brought. And he, he's, he's increasing our resources um, he's, he's bringing in money to help our, um, our, you know, our locker rooms, you know, our facilities, he's helping with that tremendously. And so it's, it's been great having, uh, coach prime here. Uh, tremendous. And, uh, you, you also were an assistant with, uh, Teresa Weatherspoon, WNBA all-star at Louisiana and then at Louisiana tech as a coach. And now with the new Orleans Pelicans. So can you talk about some of the lessons being around someone like that? You know, when I was around Coach Spoon, her and I, we laugh about it now. She's a master of details. Mm. And when I got in her presence, it was like, I mean, she wanted in skill development. If your hand is supposed to be in a certain place, she want your hand there. If your arm is supposed to be in a certain place, she want your arm there. When you're talking about a drop step, she's, you know, she's talking about how, where the placement of the foot should be, um, the placement of the ball. You know, don't drag it too far back when you're making a power dribble to make a move. I mean, she is so detailed. And for me, that was a great trait to pick up on because now you're keeping your players from being average, you know, and mediocre. So that was something I learned from her. I absolutely love her toughness and her her will and her her master details is just phenomenal. You also reference watching film and learning how to watch film to a greater detail being around her. So can you talk about what you do now in terms of, let's say, a scout? What are you doing in terms of getting ready for a game and then watching the film? Well, um, for me, I, I like for, for myself, I, I, I have my staff to do practice preps and they do if, if, if it's their scout, they'll do a practice prep. And in the practice prep, it'll tell me what what we should do offensively and it starts from our transition all the way down to our breakdown of posting guards um and it talks about the drills that they that they think will work in our um in our practices to help get us prepared for that particular game and they do it offensively and they do it defensively for defensively for us and then they do an offense and defense um practice prep for our opponents and so I'll, I'll take that and I will um, input what my thoughts are in terms of what drills I think would be good for us. Um, I'll take, for instance, the Texas game. I knew Texas was going to be extremely tough. I knew Vic Schaefer was going to have those players pounding that ball, getting to the basket. So we had a whole week of tough practicing. I mean, it was tough. And uh, drills to make you just flat out want to quit. And we, un we made them understand, Hey, you're going to have to play at this 
intensity in order to have a chance at Texas. And I think it helped tremendously. So just watching film, coming up with a game plan, a lot of times it's about the exit and nose, but sometimes you have to look at the physicality part of it. You know, how are you going to stay in the game and, and be competitive and be tough? It's so many different things you have to look at and take into consideration when you're doing a scouting court and not just the exit and nose. Well, I love that. I love that you connected the scout to practice and, and that determines what we do in practice that week to get ready for a specific opponent. Can you talk a little bit about that LSU week then? What was practice like that week? Because I'm imagining, again, you were walking around instilling belief in your players saying we can do this, but what did the actual practice look like to got you ready? Well, after we beat Alabama State in the SWAG tournament, um, I think we may have beat them by 20 points. I got into the locker room. There was not a lot of overly celebration. It was just kind of like a dead moment. And I was like, wow. And the team was like, what? And I was like, you all have more in your tank. You're ready to play some basketball. You do not feel complete. And they said, coach, we ready. We're ready. And so when we got the, the matchup with LSU, we didn't have to do much. They came to practice ready to go. That emptiness that they kind of felt and the more that they wanted, they were ready. Um, the practice leading up to it was another tough practice. Um, again, we knew that Kim Mulkey did a great job of running her offense from a ball screen set. And so we knew we had to guard those ball screens. We knew her best players were her guards. And if we can contain the guards and defend the guards and slow them down and contain the post players, we knew that we would be in that game. And so um, that's what our focus was, defending ball screens. We worked on, we defended the ball screens all year two ways. We worked on four different ways and practiced two ways where, where if we need to go to this, we'll go to this. But we worked on defending ball screens. We worked on being tough. We worked on um, picking up in transition. We worked on slowing them down because they were a team that liked to push and transition. So we worked on those things. And, you know, we watched the other SEC teams play and we kept trying to figure out how did they only lose two games? Like what is not being done? And so we watched those other SEC games and we just saw that nobody was padding gaps. Nobody was slowing them down. And, you know, nobody was getting up on the ball screens. They were letting them just do what they wanted to off the screens. So we changed that completely. And I thought our game plan worked. We just let, we just made minor mistakes down the stretch. Uh, definitely worked competitively. And I know you want a, a little bit better because you want the win, but uh, it was great stuff. Great game to watch too. Uh, and then also I posted on basketball immersion is the tip play. And I got to think that's another mindset that says we're going right after them, right? Like we're not going to shy back. We're going to attack them. And you ran a back screen off the tip play that worked great. Uh, can you talk about that play? Have you run it before? Yes. So we um, we have several tip plays and that tip play I knew would be great because um, the way I knew LSU was going to push up on us. You know, that's what Power Fives do to HBCUs. They push up for, you know, to try to intimidate you. And I knew that they were going to push up in those passing lanes. The first part of that play was a back screen by the player, a back screen for the player that tipped the ball up. And I, and if you go back and watch, she was wide open yep. on, the, on the left block. We could have easily went to her for a score right there. But I thought my players was going for the bang. And the bang <laughs> was the, the tip ball, you know. 
And so uh, after, you know, we, we pushed up on it and the player that I ran the back screen for, she's extremely athletic and she can shoot it. So I knew that they would respect her had she drifted around a three-point line. And sure enough, they did. And as soon as they came up to, to, re- to honor her that respect, we were able to set that back screen for the lob. Um, I thought my player could have went up in, in air on the catch to finish it as a tip in, but she chose to come back down. But nevertheless, I thought it was a good executed play for the program. Hey, Coach, I just want to let you know Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo, www.justplaysolutions.com forward slash bball immersion. It was a great play. It was a great play. And uh, I'll, put, I'll repost it again with this podcast so coaches can watch it again. But, uh, you know, you, a, big thing, a big thing that comes out in hearing your players talk about you and hearing other people talk about you is, is the relationships that you spend a lot of time developing relationships. Can you give us some of the practical ways that you do that, that you develop these relationships where your players believe in you and they believe in themselves? Yeah, um, it's really important. You know, one one trait that I carried over into being a head coach is um, that relation, you know, having that um, player-coach relationship. You know, you can talk to me, you know, we can love on each other, we can have fun. I mean, I've been a recruiting coordinator at all my stops. And so being a recruiting coordinator, you have to be a relationship type of person. And I didn't want to lose that trait when I became a head coach. I still wanted to have an open door. I still wanted to, you know, I get to practice early. When my players are stretching, you know, I'm tapping on each one. I'm talking to each one, you know, make sure they're okay. And, and just letting them know that I love them because I'm so intense and I'm so passionate when, as a coach, um, I get after it and I need them to know before I get after them how much I love them. And I show them that off the court, um, you know, d- during segments, you know, when 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 the ball is not in action or they're on the sideline, because we when we in all four in all four of those lines, it's, it's, it's serious basketball, no smiling, no laughing, no playing. But when they come to the sideline, I'll crack a joke here and there, you know, and we'll we'll kind of talk a little bit. But I spend a lot of time with my players, a lot of time, you know, a lot of team building, a lot of team bonding. Um, a lot of them come sit in my office and just kind of hang out. But I think that's really important because when I get on them, I need them to respond and not get upset. But understand that if I get on you, it's a reason I want the very best from you. So having that relationship is really important. Well, and, and it shows, and, and you referenced defense already, you're talking about ball screen coverage and whatnot, and, and looking into some of the analytics. I mean, your program's a top 50 defensive team, and one of the things that stood out especially is defensive transition. That seems to be a real staple of your program. So can you talk about some of the things that you emphasize in defensive transition? You are a very, very sharp coach, I tell you. <laughs> you're good. You're really good. Thanks, and I, I, I'll tell you this. Transition defense is a major component of our program, and a lot of people don't don't know that. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty genius of you. Um, we do a lot of transition build up drills. 
And I'm telling you, we start in half court and we build to full court. And it's 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 a joy to really see a lot of um, intensity, um, a lot of, you know, movement. A lot of cuts, a lot of talking, a lot of pointing. You know, it's a really good thing that we do, and we do it every day. You know, and we're so fun, and and, and we're so fun with the the teaching of it. We're so excited with the the you know the joy of it. We they, even though it's done every day the same way, they have fun with it, and so um, that's really really important. You know, we have a particular place where we stop the ball and transition. Uh, we don't push up on people to for them to get by. And we, we have a position that we stop the ball and we have players depending on the point guard who gets into position to pad gaps and slow the ball down. You know, if a program tries to sprint everybody through to pull our gap, our gap people away, we don't pull away. We stay, we stay in our backsides, look to help if they have to. We understand that when that ball is passed, you move. You move, you move. When, if, even if they don't let it go, if they fake it, we should be moving. Um, and so those are some things that we do in, in our transition break. And I think those components are really important. So we are, are you forcing the ball a particular spot? Are you trying to force up sideline to middle or is that scout dependent? It's, it's, um, it depends. It mm-hmm. depends. It depends on how dominant the, the point guard hand is. And if it's extremely dominant one way, we'll force the other. Um, and also it depends on the best player. You know, if the best player is a shooter and she's running or a post player, they love to get to the right side of the floor. We're going to force the ball to the left side, never let it get to the right. Um, if the best players runs to the left in an offense, we know, we know we have a language we use and we get that ball forced away from the best player. Um, so, uh, those are some things that we work on in our transition. Well, it just, speaks to the game nowadays that this flexibility that you just demonstrated in terms of it's not a system it's us doing the best thing that helps us in that game it just speaks to the game isn't it it's 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 so fun to coach nowadays when you do things like that isn't it yes absolutely and it's good to have players who can make that quick read and 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 can can make that happen for you well, and shift and understand strengths and weaknesses and be able to force away from weaknesses, right? Um, it, yeah and then I got to think part of this flexibility as well is coaching this generation it's just a little bit different, isn't it? Coaching this generation. Can you talk a little bit about that? It is. It is. We, um, you know, this transfer portal has made it where you have to recruit your players over and over again. It, it made, it has made it where if the players don't know how much you love them, they will not accept your tough coaching and they will enter the transfer portal. So it's a little bit different. Your approach has to be different. And that's why you have to lead with love. You have to lead with care in order to get the very best out of these players in this new time. The transfer portal has turned this thing around and it, it has made it different for everybody, for sure, across the board. So you, you have to coach a different type of coaching uh, with a different type of passion now with this, with this generation. Well, and, and you've already referenced this, like the, the, the challenge is to balance that with coaching them hard so that they get better and that they improve still and they enjoy their experience because that is part of their experience that they feel valued by you, but also that they improve. And that's a hard balance, isn't it? It is. And it, it, you, you not only have to um, show that balance with your starting five, you got to show that balance with the next three because I play eight to nine players. And then you have to show that with the players who may never touch the floor. 
you know, and that's and, and, and that's why a lot of coaches don't carry that many players, because it's really tough making sure everybody is happy because the ones who aren't touching the floor, they are just as important as the ones who are on the floor. And you have to make sure that balance is within the program across the board, that everybody feels love, attention, um, needed, of value. You have to make sure you show them that. So speaking of balance, I imagine as well, like part of your next level challenge to get your program to even higher level is to balance out the defensive success with the offense, right? To get the offense to your next level. And I'm wondering what are those challenges beyond just recruiting players that play better offense? What are some of the things that you're looking at in this offseason to be able to help you build that offense to the next level? Well, um, you're exactly right. I think we have next level type of players and we have a six, six, five star McDonald All-American, a six, five, five star, you know, number six in the country players. And I, I mean, it's, it's for me, they are true back to the backs get post players. So um, and then we have phenomenal guards. So for me, I just want to be able to implement a system that everybody can be successful. And, and to be quite honest with you, a lot of times it's going to start on the defensive side um, because you don't have that many possessions in the game, um, especially when you're playing a very good defensive team who focuses on cutting your possessions. Um, you don't have a lot of possessions. And so it, it doesn't give you an opportunity to put that many points on the board. So for us, we have to speed it up on the defensive end. We were number four in the country in points per game, and, that, and I think we were right at 78 points a game. So that came from defense, you know, and, and, and uh, scoring in our transition um, and, and off steals. So for me, um, going into bigger games against Power 5 institutions, you have to be really disciplined. You have to execute your sets. And, you know, I don't like quick shots, and, I, and I'm, I'm not one of those coaches that say, use the clock. You know, lengthen the possession to know, take the best shot. If the best shot is 25 seconds on the shot clock, take it. You know, if the best shot is two seconds on the shot clock, take it. You know, um, but but that's that's what it comes down to for us. Well, and you referenced, obviously, talent. And uh, I know you've done well with Transfer Portal and you've done well with recruiting, uh, especially the state of Mississippi, which I know is a big emphasis for you. But uh, how about this? Uh, Misha Williams-Holiday, WNBA first draft pick from an HBCU in 20 years, coach. What an accomplishment for you in the program and especially for her. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm extremely proud of her and it has been a, an ongoing um, process trying to make sure that she has the, uh, the appropriate exposure to be afforded this opportunity. And, you know, I've always told her that she was a pro. I've always told her um, we're going to get you there. You know, I made phone calls to coaches. Hey, what do I have to do to position her to, to get a look by the WNBA? Um, how do I get her drafted? What do I have to do? And she would, you know, a lot of coaches would tell me, coach, don't focus on getting drafted. Just make training camp. If you can get her in training camp, that'd be great. And so, um, she put up really good numbers in preseason versus some really big schools. And so I think that helped her tremendously. And a WNBA sent me an email wanting to 
put her on the draft and I went crazy. I mean, it was about 25 pages of information to complete. And it was just such a big thing for us. And I told her at the draft party, if you don't get drafted, you have already made history. You are on the draft board and we're going to celebrate either way. And with her getting drafted, we had, you know, CNN, Sports Illustrated, Ebony Magazine, Chris Paul, Tamika Ketchins. You had all of these celebrities. I don't know if you're familiar with the Shade Room, but the Shade Room has millions and millions of billions of followers. And she was on there. And, you, you know, you have seniors like Erica Baidu, who's liking her, her, her post and you know, it's just been a really blown up situation. It's been really good. So now you have top players in the country that's in the transfer portal who are liking her messages, you that's know, awesome. who are, you know, and I'm still, and I'm every message, everyone I see that like, I like, Hey, you want to come, you want to come, you can, you can be the next <laughs> one, you know? So, but no, it has certainly been great. And I can, I told her you're a trailblazer. You're going to open up the door for more to go from HBCUs. That's tremendous. And you know what? The story reminds me of so many of my experiences coaching at a small college where I recruited players that I knew I probably wasn't going to get on the front end. You know, I just knew they were going to go. I was a Canadian coach. They're probably going to go division one in the U S but I would say, congratulations. I'm so happy for you. If it doesn't work out, I'll be in touch. <laughs> and that's, that's right. exactly what you did. You just you just nurtured a relationship that you weren't going to get her maybe at the beginning, but it didn't work out and you got her later. And look at how that worked out. Absolutely. Such a great story and uh, so happy for her success and yours. Uh, Coach, a, a few of your quotes that stood out. Uh, and I, I love your Twitter account too, because it's, it's again, you're, you're half motivational and half promotional and uh, just real in so many ways, which I think is wonderful for coaches to be themselves. And uh, some of the quotes that I want you to talk about a little bit is uh, one of them was anyone who's going to do big things can't let small things get to them. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, you know, along our journeys, you know, we, it's, it's a lot that's going to happen. And when you are destined for great things, that's when everything starts coming against you, you know, and you have to embrace that. You can't allow that to give you a moment of quit or I can't or I don't want to or I'm not built for this. You can't allow that to set in. You have to embrace the fact that in order to achieve something great, you're going to have some forces coming against you and you can't allow that to get to you. So that's why I posted, you know, you, you can't let small things get to you when you're accomplishing greater things. And I, and I just think that's really important. Now, those quotes, are you sharing them with your players, too? Are you talking about those? Are those things that you talk to your players about, too? Uh, absolutely, I do. Um, right now, I don't bother them right now. They are in their final week, and they're getting ready to go home. And I told them, you won't hear much from me until May 2nd. And May 2nd is when they'll start back working out. But I screenshot my quotes, and I send it to them. A lot of them follow me on Twitter. Um, without following me, if you you know, they'll, they'll, they, they come trolling is what they call it. And they will, um, see some of my posts and cause they know, coach, they know when I post it's from the heart and they are worried about me, you know, coach going to leave us coach, not happy. And I have to tell them, no, I'm okay. It's, I, I feel like it's my duty to help someone else 
get over the hump, to help encourage someone else. And so they are always on my page. And every now and then they'll screenshot, they'll share in our group text, um, a post that I make. But in practice, I'm always giving quotes. Um, and they, they, they call me the walking quote book. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Co- Coach, one of the ones that got the most attention was this, this concept, which you shared, which is parents, please stop telling your children to do what makes them happy. And, and I just, I love the context of that. So can you explain that a little bit to everyone? Yeah. Um, you know, this generation, okay. This generation compared to our, your, your and my generation, our parents made us do what we committed to do. Correct. We didn't have an option. The first thing our parents told us when things got tough is you made a commitment. You better stick it out. You better find a way, adjust, and get it done. You, you, they didn't give us another option. But this, this generation is the parents, when, the, when, when players are facing or kids are facing a tough moment, a tough challenge, um, when they're at the, the, the point of making a decision, you know, well, what do I do? And, and should I leave? And, and the parents say, well, do what's best for you. No. You know, you're giving them an option to fail, to quit. And, you know, don't allow them to quit something that they started. Now, if they're being mentally abused, if it's just a very bad situation, I totally understand. Get out of there. You know, don't go down that road. But if if you're not being hurt, if you're being challenged, you know, accept it. Don't run from it. Stay committed you know, stay to the end. And that was a personal experience tweet that I put out there. That was something that happened. And I felt like that young lady who made the choice to leave our program, you know, it just went downhill from there, you know, but you never gave me an opportunity to help you be a better young lady. You saw a challenge and you walked away. And so I never stopped loving her. I never stopped talking to her. I still talk to the parents. You know, but I, I just I just think we should tell our kids, honor your commitment, honor your commitment, unless it's detrimental to your mental state, then that that way you have to leave. But if it's not, honor your commitment. Hey, coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard. Dr. Dish. Use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before. By providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code IMMERSION for exclusive savings on any of the machines. It strikes me as like my daughter told me that, you know, one time someone forgot their homework and the parent drove the homework to school. And I told my daughters, I said, listen, if you ever forget your homework, it's your consequence. And I'm not driving it to school. That's for sure. And it's it's that type of thing that, again, parents, kids just have more options nowadays. So it's easier to to move on from something. There's just more options, aren't there? And uh, that's such a tremendous way of saying it, coach. I mean, as long as safety is not a factor, find a way to persevere. Now, also create the condition, because I think the most important thing of what you just said is 
I'm not going to leave you on the island. I'm going to help you. So talk to us a little bit about that process, because you know you have players in your program that struggle at times. How are you trying to help them in those ways? Yeah, I, I have a, a very sharp spirit of discernment. Um, and so I can see when players are not having their best days. And I tell the, pl- the players when I recruit them that their experience is so important to me. And I tell them all the time, even if you have problems that are not basketball related, that are not university related, I'm going to always want to know because I can help you get through those problems. I think I've been through enough in life. And that's my testimony to to be able to help players get through their challenges and their problems. And so um, I always have my staff on alert. Hey, let's make sure we keep an eye over here. You know, I feel something developing. Um, hey, make sure you check on her. You know, hey, hey, you guys go talk to her. Hey, go go eat lunch with this player today. You know, we I try to stay on top of it in that sense. And my staff does, too, uh, because that's really important, especially with the mental health component that um, is becoming so um, uh, out there today. You know, uh, a lot of players are having those mental moments. And so we just want to help ease them through that. And I always offer um, help, counseling help, therapy help. You know, I, I never really try to diagnose a situation or try to, you know, take over a situation. But I listen and I, I, I give, you know, communication and advice based on what I've been through and based on my spiritual faithful side. Um, but that's really important to, to know when your players are struggling and be able to help them through those moments. I like how you said that, Coach, because I think too often the media and parents portray coaches as we can do everything, but we're we're not experts in everything. And that's part of our job that you referred to is that part of my job is guiding you to the people that can help you and having support staff and different people around you that can help support that player as well. And that's obviously such a big component of all this. Uh, Coach, another great quote of yours is there's no need to negotiate your worth and don't allow people to shrink your value. And, and this such such a such an inspiring thought. Can you share that with us? Yeah, um, you know, all too often, you know, people have great success, and you know, we're told that you gotta you gotta go ask this, you gotta go ask for that, you gotta get an agent to do this and do that, and 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 my thought for that was why don't you see what has been done? Why do I have to come up and negotiate that? You know, when you are doing something that's never been done, when you're doing great things, you should not have to negotiate how much you're worth. People should take care of you. And I said that to say, even if you never get what you deserve in life, people, everybody, don't ever let that shrink your value. That doesn't matter. It's just another challenge that you have to overcome. Keep working. You may never get the reward from man here. You may never get that reward, but never let that shrink your value and and what you see in yourself and your ability to accomplish great things. It's great stuff. And uh, circling back a little bit, I know coaches will want me to ask about the ball screen coverage stuff you mentioned. So you you talked about two main coverages. So your, your, your base defense has two main coverages, and then you have two coverages that you can go to. And and I'm just curious, first of all, if you can outline, because you mentioned one being aggressive, is the other one a little bit more passive or 
What are your two main coverages? So um, we, we like to uh, ice the ball screen. Um, and, and that is a component, as you all know, that's a part of your um, gap defense. Yeah. So we, we, we would ice the situations. But LSU were a, was a very good team who snaked mm. the ice, the ball strings. They did a great job with that. I watched them do that. So we had that to go to if we needed to. And we would, what we were, the adjustment we would have done with our ice is bring our post player toe a lot higher to meet the guard defender's toe. So you can't snake it. Um, and, and give our guard an opportunity to, uh, keep them from using that screen and we were teaching them how to run through and and not allow them to fake the screen and come downhill but on the run through now we're taking away the downhill action um keeping the ball up giving our post time to recover on the rolling post if that all makes sense it does um, absolutely yeah and and so we we blew we ice ball screens and the other thing that we did was but for LSU we hard hedged the ball screen mm. Um, we hard hedged without losing post connection, and we um, our, our guards went underneath. LSU were they were not great shooters off the pull up if the hand was there, and so we made sure our post players when their post ran up to set the screen, we got behind and we forced a higher screen. So we wanted that screen to be set. Really so you high. squeezed the screen higher. We squeezed the screen higher, and yep. then we hard hedged it. Absolutely. Wow. And then um, when the hard heads, you said they didn't separate from the post. So was the, the screener's defender, were they holding the hip type of thing? Yes. Yeah. Um, the, so the, the screener's defender was holding on to the hip with an extended arm mm -hmm. so we could get a hand up on the shot if, the, if they decided to shoot behind the screen. The post was to defend that shot. Um, the guard forced the screen. We, we, we forced them to use the screen. Them faking and keeping off no the rejects. ball was yeah. not yeah, that was not an option. So we forced them to use it, and our guards met underneath. And so the post player's hands up was to deter any shots behind the screen, and the guard meeting was to deter any further downhill action. So that was how we defended the screen. The other way we worked on was trapping the ball screen. I was a little nervous to trap because my big that's now in the WNBA, she was so valuable to the program. I did not want her to pick up a foul. But we worked on other bigs being able to go out and trap that screen. That was something that we didn't use at all um, because the game was too up and down. The tempo was too, too, too quick. And I didn't want to speed LSU up anymore. And sometimes trapping will speed you up. So we didn't do that, but we worked on trapping. And the other um, way we talked about was um, plugging. Very mm -hmm. passive. Very passive. Our post players lost connection with their with their screener and just kind of plug and mirrored in the gap of the guard coming off. So more and of I, a drop, more of a drop type coverage. Right. Yeah. Right. And we didn't use that either. So well, I love I mean, coach, thank you for describing those. That's that's awesome to hear. And you know, the technical tactical part of the game is so fascinating. So talking about that squeeze and then that show, had you done that previously? Have you used that much that, that previous year? No, we, we not at all. Yeah, not and your all. players were able to handle it. That's that's yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and, that, and I'm curious then about them being able to adjust and handle that. I got to think that reflects how you practiced all year. That your players are not used to this routine of practice. They're used to you throwing different things at them and them having to learn how to adapt. 
Is that yeah. part of the practice philosophy? Absolutely. We are always mixing things up. And we were we're so hard to scout because we never do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran four to five new plays against LSU. We ran new sets they hadn't seen. Um, a lot of our sets were Kilmoki sets that we got. <laughs> she was at Baylor. Awesome. Um, so we ran a lot of new sets and um and we drilled it. And I can remember being in practice, teaching them how to carry the screen up on the squeeze and hard hedge. And it was a tragedy. And I can remember stopping and screaming like, listen, if you want to win, you got to get this. And so they understood like, OK, all right, let's lock in. Let's lock in. We got this. And I mean, they started they, they, they really were focusing on getting that part done in our defensive scheme. You talked about the new plays and on offense, and I'm curious, and what is your process of introducing those plays? Because again, your players are used to it, that you're going to introduce some new things. Do you have like this base reaction type system for your offense, the play after the play, so to speak, but then you can introduce new entries or new attacks or new primary plays? Yeah, I, I, um, I like quick, quick hitters more than motion sets. Yeah. Um, we motion sets, you have to have an extremely high IQ. And you have to be extremely in-depth in your teaching. And I am more a defensive coach than I am offense. So I like to not spend a lot of time on the offense. But with the quick hitters, you know, they work in our favor because um, we have very athletic players. Now, I will spend a great deal of time on my offensive break, my primary and my secondary break. I have so much action in that that. By the time it's time to get to a set, you're really running a quick hitter. So um, that's that's you know where we are with, with in terms of the sets. Now I like to do where I will bring in the the, the team and I'll throw a set out, I, and I call this my board training. So I draw the play up, and they have to go execute it. And so now I say I, I see who can who can properly look at a board and take it to the floor and who can't. So I do that a lot, especially down the stretch in the season, because based on how a team is defending us, I want to be able to do a certain type of play, but I need to know that you can go out and execute it. So when we go into games, sometimes we won't run the play over and over and over again. I'll show it to them one time. And I think if they can run it one time, the next time they see it, they'll have it. And, and is those that one time five on O or one time five on five? Five on five, Good. five on five. And I, and, and you have to execute. And if the first option isn't open, I, I, I tell them which options to go look for. And because, you know, we're competitive as coaches, we really want our plays to work. You know, <laughs> uh, if they miss the first option, you know, you're like, dang, run it again. You know, and so you make them run it a couple of different times. And so they can see the reads of it. But after that, I, I don't really show them again. The next time they see it, it may be five on no. And it may be really quick, and but the next time execution comes into play is when I draw it up in the game. For me, part of that board training that you reference is, is also me getting to try some plays and seeing if it works, right? Is that the same for you? Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Like you saw something, you go, okay, let's try this. Let's see if it works for us. Because sometimes it works for others, but not for us. Right, right. It's <laughs> such a fun part about coaching. Coach, this has been so fun. And another unique thing is that you have a deaf player, Alexa Roberts. Can you talk a little bit about that, that process of coaching a deaf player? And then obviously the success she's had is tremendous. 
Yeah, um, Alexis Roberts, you know, I started recruiting her when she was um, in eighth grade. You know, we started looking at her um, and they attend the, the Mississippi School of the Deaf and Blind. They stay on campus. And I just watched her grow at that at that institution. And she's just been phenomenal. Um, she's she's a young lady who can read lips extremely well. Um, she does a great job with allowing us to have our own type of communication. And it's OK. You know, I was so worried that I wouldn't say a word right or I wouldn't sign something right that and it would offend her and i will always say i'm so sorry i didn't say that i didn't do that right i'm sorry and she would say no it's okay and so then it began began where we just started doing our jackson state sign language you know um and so it, it was a very cool thing to do um alexa is a very tough player and i and i love the her ceiling in terms of her growth she's a freshman for us um she was selected to play for the united states Deaf Olympics um, in the Deaf Olympics. And, you know, she told us that one of the reporters asked her, have you ever seen yourself accomplishing something like this? And she said, no, I never dreamed this far. And I started crying. Mm. I could not hold it in because that's just so amazing. And to see so many dreams come true in this season, it's just been phenomenal. And Alexis would go to Brazil to represent for the United States. And um, they cannot, some of them wear hearing aids, which she does, but they can't wear their hearing aids. The officials would be uh, deaf. The coaches are deaf. The entire, everybody's deaf that would be affiliated with the basketball team. And so wearing hearing aids is one of the things that they cannot do in the deaf Olympics. They have to really communicate with their sign language and with reading the lips. And so I'm extremely proud of her. I'm actually trying to get my passport now so I can go support her. <laughs> That's awesome. Coach, what a, just another amazing story and all of your success at Jackson State. And uh, just so, so wonderful to have you share with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at immersionvideos.com. At immersionvideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to immersionvideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at Immersion Videos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Mm-hmm.